Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes, and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by the go, you know the you know the thing. Joe Biden is back from the dead. So I'm here to report we are very much alive! Hello, welcome to this special edition of the Red Box Politics Podcast in the Times. I'm Matt Chorley. The last time we spoke to Henry Zeffman, the Times' newest Washington correspondent, Joe Biden was faltering in the polls. He was stumbling in his speeches. He was losing momentum and money. Now, a couple of weeks later, he's apparently the front runner to be the Democrat candidate to take on Donald Trump. So, I've got Henry on the line in Washington. Henry, what the hell is going on? No one's probably as surprised as Joe Biden. Um, I know that he, throughout his sort of faltering early attempts to win support in Iowa and New Hampshire and then Nevada, the first three states, he kept insisting, we're going to go to South Carolina and I'm going to win. And from there, we're going to get the nomination. And people, after they'd attended his really quite depressing events... Uh, where very few people would turn up. They were overwhelmingly old. They'd get really angry because he was always running very late. And no one really believed him, I think it is fair to say. And as far as I'm aware, people on his campaign had started to not quite believe him because it just didn't look very good for him. Anyway, he went to South Carolina. He didn't just win. He won almost as many votes as all of the other candidates combined and then had the best 72 hours that any candidate might have had in any election of any sort anywhere in the Western democratic world ever. I mean, it really was extraordinary the speed with which moderate Democrats coalesced around him, both at the elite level, he got endorsements, but voters too. And he won 10 of the 14 Super Tuesday states at the current count, and now is a very strong front runner for the nomination. 
Henry, the really surprising thing for me is that the whole point of having this enormous race, there were so many candidates in the race to begin with, was because Democrats, moderate Democrats, had basically decided that Joe Biden couldn't be their candidate uh, to go up against Bernie Sanders. So they went through all these this other great long list of names that all come to. Why did they not just cut to the chase and do this originally? It's really strange. I mean, the the, the election started, or the, or the primary started, what's usually called the invisible primary, the period long before any states have their say when people start to set out their stalls started more than a year ago with a huge uh, and pretty diverse in age and race and and so on uh, field uh, and it has winnowed to two septuagenarian white men elizabeth warren when we're recording this is is still in the race although it seems like she might drop out and she's 70 <laughs> uh, and is you know by some distance the youngest of of the three it is really uh, strange, and and there was certainly a feeling. I'm not sure it was just about ideology. Uh, the reason that some people wanted to look past Sanders and Biden, not just about the fact that Sanders is on the left of the Democratic Party and Biden further towards the right. It was more, I think, about a feeling that they needed to sort of skip a generation and find a new generation of leadership to beat Donald Trump. But one by one, those people from Kamala Harris, a California senator who looked very strong very early on but dropped out well before Iowa, to Pete Buttigieg, who won Iowa or won the most delegates in Iowa and then came a very strong second in New Hampshire but just couldn't uh, win any ethnic minority voters as the race went on to Nevada and South Carolina. One by one, they fell away and we are left with... It's not even the sort of previous generation of democratic leadership. The thing that's so extraordinary about Bernie Sanders, who's 78, and Joe Biden, who's 77, is that they're older than... The, the generation just gone. They're obviously both older than Barack Obama. They're both older than Bill Clinton. They're both older than Al Gore. And the Democratic Party has kind of turned itself into a gerontocracy. Uh, and, uh, I mean, crucially, they, they are both older than Donald Trump as well. Which yes. is extraordinary that Donald Trump is going to be the, the young whippersnapper in this race. I well, mean, Donald Trump himself was the oldest candidate inaugurated for a first term when he won the uh, 2016 election. And obviously, comparisons with British politics are always uh, lazy and overdone. So I'm going to make one now. But this is essentially like the Labour Party, when confronted with Jeremy Corbyn, looking like he was going to become leader, deciding that John Prescott was the man uh, that was needed to, you know, the, 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 the deputy to the charismatic election winner. I mean, actually, John Prescott is, I think, 81. So he's only a couple of years older than, than uh, Bernie Sanders. But it's not just the presidential candidates. I mean... Uh, Nancy Pelosi, who is the most powerful legislative Democrat, is 79 and turns 80 quite soon uh, and seems to have no intention of, of moving aside anytime soon. And Mitch McConnell, the Republican lead Senate, I think is 78. America has, a diff- has always had a different approach to age to UK politics. I don't think it's just a political thing. I pe- think lots of sort of upper middle class professionals here retire much later or just don't retire in some cases. But but still, it is really quite something to behold. And it also means, you know, the presidents tend to want to do two, two full terms, so eight years. And whether the nominee is Joe Biden or whether it's Bernie Sanders, there's going to both be a lot of pressure on them to say that they might only do one term. Now, I, I don't think 
either of them would probably make that pledge unless they're far behind in the polls, but also a lot of scrutiny on who their vice presidential candidate is. In the same way that when John McCain ran against Barack Obama in 2008, there was lots of scrutiny over whether his vice presidential candidate, Sarah Palin, would be capable of stepping in if he died. Now, John McCain was much younger than Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. Without being too morbid about it, if you've got someone running to be president who is going to turn 80 when they're in office, it's, it becomes a much more live conversation about who's, who the vice president is than, say, if the candidate was in their 50s or 60s. It's not just an issue about could they last four years. There is also the stamina of the campaign trail. Now, Bernie Sanders is extraordinary, his energy. I've been to his events. He is a powerful and very fired up orator. It's not sort of rhetorically florid, but it's powerful and and, and raucous and sort of, you know, his events are, are really dynamic and he does lots of them. By contrast to Joe Biden, who ha- does much fewer events generally, and uh, they are a bit more kind of low key. But then again, Bernie Sanders had a heart attack in October and is refusing to release more detailed medical records uh, in a way that he'd said he had after his heart. Say he, he'd said he would after his heart attack. <laughs> it's a very strange situation, I have to say. OK, we should probably talk about Michael Bloomberg as well, who, I mean, we, we thought in the UK it was a waste of money when Lord Sainsbury spent £8 million on the Lib Dems election campaign. But that looks like small fry uh, to the former New York Mayor spending $500 million on a run for the White House, which never really got off the ground. Well, it did get off the ground. It just got off the ground very briefly and then plummeted back down to the ground. (laughs) Uh, Just far enough off the ground to really come down with a bump. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, Bloomberg's spending is extraordinary. We know that he spent more than $500 million on advertising alone. He's got a a presidential campaign staff of about 200, which is the size these campaigns tend to be by the time the candidate is the nominee, not at this stage, not before they've ever contested a single state, because, of course, Mike Bloomberg sat out the early states. What are they all Uh, doing with that money, I could have got a, probably done better with half a billion pounds and two hundred, half a billion dollars and and two hundred people. Uh, what what is it that's proved so bad for Mike Bloomberg? Well, he had a very sophisticated operation, both digitally and on the ground. I mean, he opened one reason he had so many staff is he opened enormous numbers of offices in states and states in particular that Democrat candidates don't usually necessarily campaign particularly in primaries like Oklahoma and Arkansas and Tennessee, but he didn't win any of them. And actually, this is a really important point, which is that one possible lesson of Joe Biden's extraordinary run of victories last night is that so much of campaigns, so much that campaign consultants charge candidates lots of money to do for them, advertising, setting up ground games, field offices. Maybe it just doesn't matter. Mike Bloomberg (laughs) had all of these offices. He was bombarded barding people with adverts and joe biden who until the morning after the south carolina primary had spent nothing on advertising in super tuesday states and had no offices or very few offices in lots of these states just swept right past him and won and he won because of momentum it just came together for him at the right time and for all the sophistication of other campaigns bernie sanders talks a lot about having a very advanced ground operation and i'm sure he does likewise elizabeth warren 
there was nothing to compare for to, to Joe Biden's head of steam. I mean, a particular example, Joe Biden, uh, when he sort of read off a list of states that he'd won on Tuesday night when he did a victorious rally in, in L.A., by the way, California is a state he didn't win. But when he was reeling off this list of states, he said Minnesota with such a note of pure bafflement in his voice because he has not been to Minnesota as a presidential candidate. He did not have a single staff member there. And we're told, well, when he got to Super Tuesday, it'd be over. Well, it may be over for the other guy. Tell that to the folks in Virginia. North Carolina. Tennessee, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Minnesota. It was seen as a straight fight between Bernie Sanders and Amy Klobuchar. Amy Klobuchar, who is a Minnesota senator, that's the reason she was doing so well there, dropped out on Monday, the night before Super Tuesday, endorsed Joe Biden. Joe Biden won Minnesota. It, it was just really extraordinary. I mean, we should point out that Mike Bloomberg did win American Samoa. Uh, how, how does that happen? How does, <laughs> how does he win that and nothing else? Uh, it's a good question, um, which quite a lot of American journalists were, were sort of scrambling to answer last night. I suspect it is the pure power of advertising because none of the candidates have visited American Samoa at several thousand miles from, from the mainland. In fact, second place in American Samoa uh, was a woman called T- Tulsi Gabbard, who's a congresswoman from Hawaii. Who No one's really quite sure why she's still running. She's got a very eccentric set of policies. So clearly American Samoan Democrats just fancied throwing a bit of a, a bit of a spanner in the works. But also it means that American Samoa will be a punchline when people talk about Mike Bloomberg for the rest of his life, really, which will be, you know, the trivia question. At, well, they don't have pub quizzes here. They have trivia nights, which are much more serious, as I learned to my cost on Sunday. But <laughs> at trivia nights for years to come, it will be, you know, what was what was the one contest that Mike Bloomberg ra- won in the 2020 Democratic primaries? And people will wrap their brains for a bit and say, oh, was it Tennessee or was it Oklahoma or was it Puerto Rico? No, it was American Samoa. It, it gave expression to the embarrassing night that Mike Bloomberg had. A, a quick look on... Uh... Wikipedia suggests that the entire GDP of American Samoa, or at least in 2007, was $537 million. So Mike Bloomberg, he could have just bought American Samoa. <laughs> well, he probably did, uh, in, in, in one sense. I mean, it is worth saying, we, it is funny and fun, and I won't stop doing it to mock the fact that Bloomberg wasted all this money. But as enormous as the sums are, they really are just a drop in the ocean for him. Forbes estimates his wealth at about $60 billion, uh, and they say it's grown by $3 billion in the past year. So his wealth has grown by several factors more than the amount that he's dropped on this campaign. And a really important thing is that as he dropped out, he endorsed Joe Biden, which will not be a surprise to supporters of Bernie Sanders, who say that Joe Biden you know, is part of the corporate and political establishment, just like Mike Bloomberg. And Mike Bloomberg will almost certainly end up mobilising his lavish resources behind, behind Joe Biden now. And that takes two forms. One will just be money, although he'll have to, because of campaign finance laws here, he'll probably have to do it through something called a super PAC, which means he wouldn't be able to coordinate with Joe Biden. He can't just donate loads of money directly to Joe Biden. But the other thing is all these staff members who he could transfer over into a sort of pro 
spite an organization because one way that Mike Bloomberg grew his campaign staff so quickly when he got in the race really late in November was he guaranteed that he would pay them up until the presidential election in November, no matter how long his campaign lasted. So Mike Bloomberg has this enormously sophisticated, well-funded operation with lots of offices in lots of states ready to go. And it looks like in some form they will transfer over to Joe Biden. They'll certainly transfer over to Joe Biden if he's the nominee. That becomes a really important boost to Joe Biden's campaign because Biden was really struggling for cash until everything changed in South Carolina on Saturday. Yeah, we should say they've still got a long way to go in this tortuous uh, primary process. You need 1,991 delegates to get over the line. Biden's got 548. As we're speaking right now, Biden's got 548. Sanders, 484. Warren, 53. Bloomberg, 15. Like you're saying, Gabbard, just the one. Is there any possibility for any upset? And who do you think of Biden and Sanders will end up getting to that 1991 first? You, know, you can't predict this with certainty, given what has happened in the last... <laughs> and given what happened the last time I asked you uh, to make a prediction a fortnight ago. Yeah, although, if I remember <laughs> rightly, I said Sanders and the other two said Bloomberg. So I've, I've fared slightly less badly than the others. It's why you're the one we asked back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's very hard to predict, but Joe Biden is now the front runner. I think I think people would have to concede that. There's another batch of states on on tuesday next tuesday uh michigan is the biggest of them now bernie sanders won that by a pretty handy margin over hillary clinton last time and if he can't replicate that if joe biden manages to win michigan then i think questions will be asked about the viability of bernie sanders's campaign i suspect he'll stay in much further than that but but still um but no i mean joe biden looks looks like a a solid favorite but just because people have coalesced around him, just because lots of voters have suddenly decided that they're going to vote for him, doesn't mean that he doesn't still have the same flaws and frailties, which meant that voters were shopping around for some alternative for most of the past year. He is rambling. He sometimes doesn't really finish sentences, or if he, you know, if he thinks he's finished his sentence, the rest of the crowd is totally unclear <laughs> what on earth he was trying to say. He is 77 and is less fluent and you know less lively than he was eight years ago when barack obama or not eight years ago 12 years ago when barack obama selected him as his vice president you know and certainly on 33 years ago when he first ran for president uh and um you know the other point to make is that he does make gaffes he embellishes stories his first presidential campaign in 1988 was brought down when it turned out he'd plagiarized a speech from the then leader of the labor party neil kinnock uh the last couple of weeks uh, he's been caught embellishing a story and suggesting that he'd been arrested uh in south africa while campaigning against apartheid it just simply didn't happen so there is going to be more scrutiny on joe biden now that it looks like he might actually be the nominee there is a chance that Bernie Sanders and his campaign could could exploit that, absolutely. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard. 
But thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. The thing that struck me, Henry, listening to uh, Bernie Sanders' uh, press conference on Wednesday was uh, his attack on uh, Joe Biden, essentially what will be the Democrat attack on Donald Trump. He's got a different vision for the country. He's from the corporate establishment. He's been backed by 60 billionaires. He backed the Wall Street bailout. and or It's like the Democrats are sort of having their own just presidential contest between Republican and Democrat. Um, do you think that ends up damaging Joe Biden? Or if he does go up against Donald Trump, they're basically all in the same boat then. Donald Trump can't really accuse Joe Biden of being in the pocket of billionaires. It's, it's clearly a problem for whichever of Biden or Sanders ends up as the nominee. If the race carries on for a long time, as it probably will, and becomes more rancorous, as it probably will... Uh, you know, and Joe Biden did very well on Tuesday, but still from the exit polls, it looks like young voters overwhelmingly favour Bernie Sanders. Uh, Biden's Biden's got much more support from African Americans, but but Sanders has more with Latinos. Uh, so one problem for the Democrats, I think, is that is that Sanders and Biden are so far apart in approach, in ideology. Uh, in demeanour, in in voter coalition, that it it will be a, a relatively tall order. As much as they all hate Donald Trump, it will be a relatively tall order managing to bring that back together. You know, it is it is always hard to know the extent to which supporters of any political candidate who you see on social media reflect the reality. But you know, there are lots of Sanders supporters on social media who say they wouldn't vote for Biden if he's the nominee. Um, that's probably not gonna. Uh, appreciably end up affecting the result and lots of them won't end up doing that but as a straw in the wind of uh, the divisions within the democratic party it does pose a problem for biden if he becomes a nominee and conversely in the other way sanders if he becomes a nominee um, i feel like i should ask you given that uh, british politics is basically put totally on hold for what could be months and months uh, uh, on this side of the atlantic is there any possibility that coronavirus plays a part in the race i mean as we've been discussing, uh, two or three men in their 70s touring around the country shaking everyone's hands when there's a, the outbreak of a virus which particularly targets the elderly. It doesn't sound like a perfect recipe for uh, for success. Are, the, are, you, are you in the grip of coronavirus? Are you wearing a, a mask around the streets of Washington? I'm not. I, I, um, I tried to go out and buy some hand sanitizer the other day, but um, that's all, uh, which I know you shouldn't be doing. Um, but uh, anyway, <laughs> everyone else had beaten me to it, so there's no more of that uh, anywhere in DC, as far as I can tell. You don't see many people with face masks here, and actually, the um, I mean, I've been taking great joy in the um, in the toilets of our offices of, of judging people on how long they wash their hands, um, <laughs> and no one is getting it anywhere close to one happy birthday, let alone two. But then they haven't had Matt Hancock coordinating the response over here, which is actually 
serious point, which is that, as far as I can tell from over here, the UK response has been much more clear. And uh, I mean, out here, uh, Donald Trump has put Mike Pence in charge, uh, the vice president, and they have these daily press conferences so far, although yesterday's they wouldn't let it be on TV. Uh, so it was just a sort of print quote press conference. And the the start of each of these press conferences basically requires Pence and then a succession of sort of uh, non-political bureaucrats to kind of pay fealty to Donald Trump and tell him how magnificent his response has been, which it hasn't been. Trump, in his first press conference about coronavirus, you know, it took him about 20 minutes of trying to talk about coronavirus and comparing it to the flu to get into uh, how he'd been betrayed by various members of his administration, how impeachment was a hoax, and so on and so on and so on. He did a, a press conference with the bosses of various American-based airlines today. And as uh, the press conference that followed finished and the journalists were filing out, he said to them, hang on, why have none of you asked me about Super Tuesday? So the seriousness with which Donald Trump is taking this, uh, I think, is is somewhat in question. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, as it affects the presidential campaign, clearly there might come a point where holding huge rallies, which are, of course, the bread and butter of presidential campaigns, and particularly Bernie Sanders, in fact, as it goes, becomes not a very wise thing to do. And in that scenario, I don't know what the campaign would, would start to look like. But but we're not at that stage yet. And just finally, you've been in America, what, for now a month? You, you haven't yet apparently picked up an American accent. Are you used to, uh, have you, you learned how to speak American now? This week's weird American experience. Uh, w- w- obviously, as, as you said, I've been here a month. So um, I've had a month of sweet things being sweeter, salty things being saltier and, and every portion being bigger. So I thought I'd better join a gym. So I went went along to a gym and ended up in some gym class. But the, the constant whooping was just so annoying. Everyone, <laughs> I was constantly being instructed to high five my neighbours, fist bump them, shout that I was having a great time and doing a great job. Anyway, I, w- I won't be going back to that. Uh, so that, that was this. Um, I was not doing a great job as well. I resented the fakeness of what I was being instructed to do as much as the effusiveness. But anyway, that, that was this week's, That's um, week's uh, weird, weird American. Actually, it gen- generally, my main lesson from my short time here so far, it, and it feeds from political campaigns right across society, is that so much of the difference between American culture and British culture can be explained by the apparent absence of a cringe mechanism amongst <laughs> Americans. People will just do and say things that Brits would find so cringeworthy and awkward and embarrassing. And that's why the rallies are so much more dynamic and loud. But more generally, there just seems to be an absence of self-deprecation and self doubt i suppose oh, uh, in the society it's it's very different <laughs> well very good well i'll let you get back to your high-fiving spin class and i'll get back to just washing my hands you won't have seen this but there's been a in the the whatsapp group of journalists based in parliament uh, a senior journalist from another newspaper has been filmed washing his hands although the video is only nine seconds long so matt hancock will um We'll reprimand him for that. Uh, Henry Zeffman, huge thanks for joining us from Washington. I suspect we'll be talking again next week when something completely mad happens and it turns out you're now the front runner of the Democrat race. Uh, but for now, uh, Henry Zeffman, thanks so much. All right, Chuck, thank you very much. Uh, all right, uh, it's Chris, I'm but anyway. Chris. My name's Joe Biden. I'm a Democratic candidate for the United States Senate. 
You had people like Margaret Thatcher, excuse me, you had people like the former chairman and leader of the party in Germany. Make sure you have the record player on at night.